0: to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor the mighty God, and the everlasting peace. And this morning, I just want to preach about that son who came here at Christmas. And I want to preach today, why did Jesus come to this earth? I should have a seat this morning. It is amazing to me that 2,700 years ago, 2,700 years ago, God's Holy Spirit moved on a man named Isaiah, to prophesy of the distant future. He foretold the arrival of the Messiah, the Son of God, to this earth as a gift to mankind. And what a thought that God would dwell with men and women. What an amazing thought. This revelation, however, begs the question, why would God do that? Why would God leave the splendor of heaven robe with flesh, and come walk with us on earth. Why would he do that? Now, because we live in the 21st century, we have the, we have the pleasure and the, and the benefit of hindsight. We know that 700 years after Isaiah prophesied that his words were fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus. That's the Christmas story. But again, the question is, why did Jesus come? And I want to address that question with three responses today and I hope that you'll write these down and and I think they'll speak to you and uh, this is kind of Christmas Sunday Uh, next Sunday is going to be Christmas Sunday as well and I just want to really encourage you to be here because we're going to have we're going to have two services that are just going to be phenomenal there's going to be a lot of variety variety in those services we're going to have fun how many know it's okay to have fun in church? And uh, that we're gonna have, have bring the children in here with us that Sunday, next Sunday, and it's just gonna be one of those services. That are gonna be really, really memorable. So hope to see you then. But today, I just want to talk about Christmas. And to be honest, I want to go deep. And so I hope that you'll just stay with me and let me just get us in a place where we're thinking and and really realizing some truths. And like I told you, brothers and sisters, if I lose you, just get on Facebook, I guess, on your phone. Um, Don't do that. So why did he come? Here's the first reason. These, I think, are like the top three to me why Jesus came to earth. Number one, he came to show you what God was like up close and personal. He came to show you. So I'm gonna make a statement, and I want you to hear what I have to say here. The perfect image or reflection of God is only attained through examining the person and the life of Jesus Christ. Now, it, now, it's not the only way to get the reflection because you can read the Old Testament and find out about God, obviously. But if you really wanna know what God is like, you have to examine the person and the life of Jesus Christ. Now, we're gonna do this again in January. I think this year we're gonna promote the New Testament. But last year, this year, 2018, um, in January, we, we really encouraged you to try to read the Bible through. Do y'all remember that? And I'm not gonna have a show of hands, but hopefully some of you have done that. I took the challenge, I, I'm doing it. Uh, we're in the minor prophets in the Old Testament, so we're wrapping it up. Today's the 16th, we got 15 days to go. And uh, I'm gonna be able to say I read the whole Old Testament through. There's some parts that are not as, you know, they're tough, you don't understand it. And when I started the New Testament, Um, As well, I was already into the book of Acts And I thought, well, I'm not going to go all the way back to Matthew Because this plan starts I'm just going to start at Acts and work my way through So I'm not going to end at Revelation in 15 days I'm going to end somewhere in the middle of Acts which means right now I'm in the I'm at the end of John. I'm I'm right towards the end of John. So recently, just this week, I'm reading the Gospel of John, and I'm reading John chapter 14, and there's a story there where Jesus, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, he's giving his disciples his final words before he goes to the cross. And as he is talking with them and giving them this revelation and it's really deep stuff, there's one of his disciples named Philip. And he and he interrupts Jesus and he asks a question really and he says, Lord. Just show us the Father and that's enough for us. Just show us, just, we want to know God. Just show us God and as quickly as Philip asks the question, Jesus responds and it's terse and you can almost hear the frustration in the Son of God's voice and he says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still haven't got it? And this is what he says. This is a, this is a quote from the Bible. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. So the point is the revelation of God, the father is seen in God, the son, and it's seen best as God, the son, who's the son of man robed in flesh. That's how you see him. The clearest Jesus works and his words were a direct reflection of what God would say and what God will do. And so that's the point. Um, Yeah, again, you can see some things in the Old Testament, but Jesus clarifies it in the New Testament. Now, have any of you ever noticed that when you read Genesis chapter 1, 1, that it reads a lot like John 1, 1? Has anybody ever noticed that? Okay, Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. All right, Word is a capital W. So it is a figurative Word. It's a symbol, a reflection of who? Jesus. So Jesus is the Word. All right, so here's what we know. In the Old Testament, Genesis 1-1, we're introduced to God the Father. In the beginning, God, which would be God the Father, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the the deep. Now we get introduced to God the Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. But you don't see Jesus. So it's like the Holy Spirit said to John, let's clarify this so that everybody knows that in the beginning, it wasn't just God the Father and God the Spirit, but God the Son was there too. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God. Watch this. And Jesus was God and the same was in the beginning which is Genesis 1 1 with God and without Jesus was not anything made that was made all things were made through him so when 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 God the Father was there and God the Son was there God I mean the Spirit was there God the Son was there at creation too okay and by the way, just so there's clarity, and I know this can be confusing, we are Trinitarian. We believe in the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is very confusing to people because we are not polytheistic. We don't worship three gods. We don't worship many gods. We are monotheistic, which means we worship one God, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So I don't understand it. There, there are three persona, and yet there's only one God. There's not three. There are not three gods, Okay. So if you try to understand the Trinity, you will not be able to do it. Our little mind can't handle it. That's what makes him God. If you could figure out God, then why would he be God? So God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit are one. And that's why as God the Son, he can perfectly reflect God the Father even if he's got flesh on. Y'all with me so far? Okay, and so... You've got God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. So the the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament seen through the Son, Jesus Christ. They're different, and yet they're still God. All right? Now, here's what I've learned through the years. People, especially people that are unchurched or people that are not saved, often see God solely as the lawgiver and the judge of the law and the executioner of those who transgress the law. And And they're afraid of God. If you're a criminal and you have been to court, if you're a criminal and you've been arrested, but you're out and you're in Ingalls with your shopping cart, and as you turn a corner, there's the judge that you stood before. You just, I think we need milk. If you're in the milk section and you think you're getting away and there is the officer that arrested you. So I'm going to the deli. Because those people represent the breaking of the law, you breaking the law, they arrested you, you transgressing the law, they're the execute. See what I'm saying? That's how people see God god is the law you know the you know god that's how they see god this big deep voice god and he's just and he gives me the laws and he tells me what to do and i don't do and the problem is i'm not doing it and i know so god can't like me and and i'm and, and but if god ever catches me or gets me then i know he's gonna he's gonna judge me he's already judged me i know i'm a sinner i know i'm not doing the right things and all oh, if he ever catches me though it's gonna be bad i bet he's up there right now with a flight with a lightning bolt he's just waiting to just hammer me just Fry me! That's what people think. And they know that if they die, they know, most people know if I die, I'm going to hell, they'll tell you, I'm going to hell. Like, really? You're just that flipping about it? And so that's people's view of God. And is God all those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. God is, all, but He is a whole lot more. So God the Son comes. And he's gonna help us with this. And so if you go back to John again, John 1 14 says, and the word, who's the word? Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Okay, watch this. Full of two things, grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. truth. All right. So here's the thing. Under the old covenant, because the Bible, all we got is the Old Testament. It was written for about, about and for the children of Israel. Okay, they had the law. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's what first John 17 says. I mean, John 1.17 John 1, says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I got a ring. Help me out here. And so, and so here's the thing. Moses comes with the law. Now, what's the law? There's three parts of the law. Number one, there is the civil law. You know how Anderson has laws, the city? The county has laws, and the state of South Carolina has laws, and the federal government has laws. All right, they didn't have laws in Israel. They needed laws, so God gave them laws. All right? The civil laws of the Jews way back 2,000 years ago have had a tremendous influence in Western civilization and our present-day laws. That's a, that's a fact. Okay. Then they had, number two, the ceremonial laws. That was the, the, the sacrifices and all the different things you do, you know, you go to the temple and you can't eat. You can't eat pigs and you can't eat you know, different animals. You got to eat kosher and all that, all those. And all those were religious things. And their goal was to ultimately point to Jesus and help us understand the holiness of God and how we're supposed to be different as the people of God. And so you had the ceremonial laws. Then you had another law. It was called the moral law, the 10 commandments, right? All right. So here's what I want you to understand. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. You, you wonder why he came? Why did he come? He'll tell you, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. So the civil law really is a moot point because that was for the nation of Israel, okay? That's why today, back then, their their capital punishment system was, I'm gonna get this in a minute, if you were caught in the act, they didn't have gas chambers and electric chairs. They would just bring you for the community and everybody grabbed rocks because there's rocks everywhere in Israel and they'd stone you to death, They'd get the, they, they, were, they would get rid of the sin and the, out, of the, out of the society. Boom, just like that. Okay, today we don't do that. So the, the civil laws don't apply to us. The ceremonial laws don't apply to us anymore because Jesus fulfilled them all. We don't have to offer sacrifices here on Sunday morning because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. One and done. Okay, so those he fulfilled. But the moral law, all right, it, it, it was, it's always been wrong to kill. It's wrong to kill now, and it will always be wrong to kill, murder. Adultery has always been wrong, and it's wrong now, and it always will be wrong. Are y'all with me? Lying has always been wrong. It's wrong now, and it always will. That's moral, watch this, truth. That's just not law. That's truth. Y'all with me? That's why we have to be careful, especially if you in the younger generation and the high school students over here, you have to be careful because we're in a very pluralistic society right now and what has become acceptable in our society is that truth is relative. So that there is no absolute truth, especially moral truth. There's no absolute moral truth. And so nobody at school is going to teach you absolute moral truth, even though if you try to break rules, they still give you licks. Try to figure that one out. Or you get in trouble. So if there's no moral law, Anyway, that's the hypocrisy of it. But the, the, but relativism says, "Jam, what's wrong? What's wrong for you may be okay for me to do, and what I may think is a wrong thing to do, you may think it's all right." So we just need to respect each other. And if you can do it, then I'm not going to do it. But that's okay. That's your, that's truth. That's what's true to you. Look, two plus two is two. Two plus two ain't five. Okay, two plus two can only be it can only be one thing. And so the same thing is morally. Two plus two is four. It can't be two plus two is five. Here's the moral thing. Morally, you can't have two things that are opposite or different right at the same time. Right is right and wrong is wrong. You with me? So the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus comes and he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And so he never... Cut down the moral truth that was in the Old Testament. He expounded on it. So, guys, he said, you know, adultery's wrong. So if you have an affair with another man's wife or another woman while you're married, that's adultery. That's wrong. But he said, let me just take a little bit further. I say to you that if you look on another woman and you play the whole thing out in your mind, and I'm talking about X-rated. X you play the whole thing out wishing you were with her and you can just play it all out and it's terrible. You know, he said, you've already committed it in your mind and in your heart. You're an adulterer. So he took the letter of the law and went even further to explain the spirit of the law, but the moral law, and this is truth. Y'all still with me? So the law came through grace. So Jesus comes and he's speaking truth. And yet, there was this side of him that was full of grace, mercy, and compassion. When he saw the crowds, the Bible says he had compassion upon them. All right, and so that's, that's what he came. He came. He's, so, what is he doing? That's God. It's not like the God of the Old Testament is different. God, the Father's God from the Son. Jesus is a reflection of God. We got the wrong picture. See, we're not getting the clear. So, the Son comes and says, I'm going to help you with the picture of my daddy, of Papa God, of the, of the Father. Because he's not just full of truth, and he's not just the logger, but he's filled of grace. See, prove it. Well, he wiped out the whole world, but he found one guy named Noah. Did he wipe him out too? No. Noah found grace grace in God's eyes. I I know y'all with me, you just processing it, right? Okay. So Jesus comes to show the perfect, he is the perfect balance of grace and truth. So let's talk about this. So there's a town. And a woman is caught in the act of adultery. She's caught in it. Like, husband came home early from work, opens the bedroom door. Oop, there it is. Okay, he's mad. He goes and gets the, the, the elders, the spiritual leaders in their town. They come in. Why did the guy get a pass? I don't know what that, now that was an interesting one. I don't know the answer to that one. But the guy gets a pass, but they grab his wife, drag her out into the streets, and under the civil law, which was also connected with the ceremonial law, if you committed adultery and got caught, you could be stoned. So they got her out in the square, and everybody, all the men have these, big because there's stones everywhere, they got these rocks in her hand, but Jesus happens to be in the town. And so they drag her to Jesus, and they hate Jesus because they love law, but they don't like his truth. Because that's what religious people do. They want to cover up their sins with... I I, got to quit. They want to cover up their sins with their man-made rules, hoping you won't see the real them behind the... Ignore the man behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz. Don't pull the curtain back. You're going to see some stuff. So they didn't like his moral truth. So they, all, they wanted, anytime they could get him, they wanted to get him. And so they said, we're going to get him. And so they bring, they bring Jesus, this woman to Jesus, and they're all ready to stone. And they said, the law, see, the law says this woman ought to be killed. What do you think? They're setting him up. And the Bible says that Jesus, I'll come up here. Jesus squats down and the Bible says he starts riding in the dirt. Now, he, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. When I get to heaven, I'm going to find out. How many of y'all got questions when y'all get to heaven? Okay. What did you write? So we can only speculate. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? God desires mercy, not sacrifice. I don't know, maybe he wrote scriptures. Now, I like what one dude said. He said the Lord knew all of their girlfriends that they had been cheating on, he was writing their name. Betty Jo, <laughs> Julie, <Sadie> Mae, <laughs> Trisha. Now, I like that answer. And then he looks up. Now he's going to respond. He who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And the thing is, there was only one guy there that was qualified to throw a stone, and it was him. He could have picked up a rock and bashed her head in if he wanted to and been right, because he's God. But he's not. And they're ready to, and they're a bunch of sinners. Self-righteous, hypocritical sinners. And the Bible says that beginning with the oldest, you could hear rocks going thud and they start walking away. You know why it's the oldest? Because the longer you live, the more sins you commit. If you're young, your list is about that long. You get my age, it's pages. We're flipping, right? All the old people said, Amen. And they all got under conviction. Because legalism will cover your sin, but moral truth will reveal your sin and bring conviction. That's why preachers need to preach the truth. Thud. Thud. Thud, 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 thud. And the crowd dispersed. And Jesus, this is so cool, he keeps writing. Let's see, he got three of them Tanya, (laughs) Betty. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks up the second time, and there's nobody there but her. And he said, Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, sir, I have none. Now here, watch this. It's gonna make some of you happy. And the next thing Jesus said is the greatest thing you can hear God say to you. Amen. Neither do I condemn you. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah but she broke the law. That's right, she did. So let's look at this all the way through. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Bible says God looks on the heart. As the son of man, but also the son of God. He had the ability, he looked into her heart and that woman was not only guilty and felt bad because she had been caught, but now she's standing before the son of God who can either be her judge or can be her savior and she sees something in him and realizes this man could condemn me, but he could also change me and she wanted to turn from her life of sin and she wanted to be saved and God can see it even like today, he can still see the heart of somebody who says, I'm tired of living this life and I want to be free from the devil and free from sin. And I want to be changed by the power of God. That's the only way you can make this story work. And he saw that she was ready to repent and she, and she wanted to be changed. And that's why he didn't condemn her because he offered grace to her. Truth said she was guilty, but grace said I can save you. That's the same thing happened to you one day. Truth said, you're a liar, you're a cheat, you're a swindler, you're dirty, you're mean, you're vile, you're filthy. But grace said, I'll wash you and cleanse you and justify you and change your life. Amen. The greatest words you ever heard, neither do I condemn you. But now I'm gonna be a holiness preacher. But then he said, go and sin no more and I'm going to tell you today when God saves you, he changes you you don't come and pray a prayer and cry some tears and then go back into your life of sin, but you repent and by the power of God and the transformation that happens within, you tell your friends I ain't going there and I ain't doing that and I'm not smoking that and I'm not drinking that and I'm not watching that and I'm not talking like that anymore because there is somebody new in my life and he has changed me and I'm not the same person I used to be Grace, truth, you gotta have them both. So he came to show you what God was like up close and personal. That's the first reason. Second reason was to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. Now the kingdom of God, if you don't study, you may say, "Like, what is that? We read about it, you talk about what is the. It's simple. It's just Jesus is king. It's the rule and the reign of Jesus on this earth. And if he's the king of your heart, it's the rule and reign of Jesus in your life. So if Jesus is the Lord of your life, king of your life, then that means he's in charge. Now, the reality is ultimately God is in charge of everything. Okay? But the other reality is that when Adam blew it in the garden we yielded or ceded our divine authority that we got from God to him. And so we became slaves and in bondage to sin and to the devil. And for thousands of years now, that's the way it's been, man. You're born, you're born into sin. You're born a slave to sin. So you've got somebody over you. It's not a king, it's a master. They're two different things. And he uses you you and he abuses you and that's what sin and the devil does. But Jesus came to undo what the devil's done Heal what the devil's hurt. Mend what the devil's broken. Loose what the devil's bound. And that's why he came and his message was simple. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you'll repent and let me become the Lord of your life, then sin and the devil won't be in charge anymore. I will. And you'll become a subject of me, the king, and I'll be in charge of your life. And where he uses you and abuses you, I'm going to bless you and do everything I can to make your life wonderful. Because not only will you be my subject, but I'm going to make you my child, and you're going to be a child of the king. You're going to be a prince and a princess. And so Jesus comes along to undo what the devil done. And you see this in his life. Every time he's going places, there are sick people and diseased people that sin and the devil has crushed and hurt. And what does he do? He heals them. Jesus healed all manner of sickness and disease. It was the kingdom of God undoing what the devil has done in people's life. And then he ran into demons. Demons. Ooh, some of you scared of demons. Ooh, don't be scared of the demons because the Christ in you is greater than the demons because every time a demon got around them, they were trembling and screaming and they were terrified and scared to death. They knew they were king. One time they said, we know who you are. You're the Christ. That means the Messiah, the king. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, shut up. I don't need you testifying about me. You don't need to, how many know devils don't have testimony services? So there's no testimony service. You shut up. He tell them to shut up. And then every time he ever told a demon to come out and exercise the demon, they came out. You know why? Because he was the king. They were scared that he was going to execute judgment on them right then and send them into permanent hell. He was the king over di- diseases and demons and even in nature. Nature, would r- r- rise up, you know. The laws, you know, some of the, you know, nature's stronger than you are. You can't, don't step off a five story building, you're gonna lose. Nature wins. Splat, you know what I'm saying? There's some things nature's bigger than you, all right? Jump up in there all you want, but gravity's not gonna let you go. You're gonna soar up into there like Superman. And sometimes nature, Gets crazy and Jesus is in a boat with his disciples and he's asleep because he's tired. He's been ministering and all of a sudden a storm comes up. Nature's put a big storm and the winds and the waves and the boat's rocking and waves are washing over and the boat's starting to sink because there's water getting in. There's no bilge pump and they wake up Jesus and say, don't you care that we drown? And he wipes the sleep from his eyes and it's rainy and the wind's blowing and there's water up to his knees in the boat and he just calmly says, peace, be still. And I love it. In the Greek, that means put a muzzle on it. That's exactly what it means. The wind was howling like a dog, and Jesus said, Put a muzzle on it. And boom, instantly, storm ended, clouds pe- cleared, blue sky, sunshine. And we know from our lake here at Lake Hartwan, Kiwi, etc., that when you have a storm, you have an after effect chop on the water. But not that day when he said, Peace be still, and the winds and waves and water, water went, Shoot, Lake Placid. He was the king. And even in death, whether it was the son of the widow of Nain when he stopped a funeral procession, said, open up the hearse. They rolled the casket out. He said, in the name of Jesus. No, he didn't say the name of Jesus, in the name of me. He said, get up. Son came alive. Whether it was Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old girl, 12-year-old little girl that dies. And Jesus walks in and says, arise. Whether it's Lazarus, who had been dead for four days and was in a tomb. And Jesus goes and says, roll the stone back. And Martha says, but Lord, by now he stinks. There's decomposition. He said, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Open up the tomb. And they open it up. And let me just teach you a little theology. Back then when you died, you went to, in the inner part of the earth, an area called Upper Hades or Upper Sheol. And it was Abraham's bosom. It was a place of rest. But you didn't go to heaven because Jesus hadn't conquered death yet. So you were separated from God by death. And you were down there. I mean, it was a nice place, but it wasn't heaven. And, and Lazarus is down there for four days when all of a sudden Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And that cave, their, their, their tombs were caves. And I like to think that in the recess of that cave in the heart of the earth, there was a crevice and that crevice ran all down through the rock formations all the way into the roof of upper Hades. And through that, Lazarus is down there four days. He's dead in upper Hades. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice of Jesus, a familiar voice, call his name and say Lazarus come forth and he couldn't stay there anymore supernatural power sucked his spirit up through the heart of that earth put him back in that body (sighs) he took in a deep breath and he's bound up in grave clothes and he gets off of that pier He comes bouncing out like this out of the grave alive through resurrection power and they say loose him and let him go how'd you do that I'm the king he's the king over death He came to show us, Pastor, you don't know how far I've been. You don't know how deep I've been in sin. You don't know how deep I am in something right now. You don't have, let me tell you something. Listen to me. The rule and reign of Jesus and the power of the King goes as far as you are. So he came to show us God up close and personal. And he came to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. And then this one, well, this one's just the, the Mac Daddy. It's the one that is the main one, and it's one that we preachers love to preach. He came to save you from your sins. That was the mission. And to put you in right relationship with God, an angel told Joseph, Mary will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In Luke five thirty two, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but I, why have you come, Lord? Why are you here? Why are you here? I've come to call sinners to repentance. That's why I'm here. 2 Corinthians five twenty one, Paul said, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here's the gospel. The son of God robed with flesh to be a man on a mission, to die in your place on a cross to suffer the penalty for your sin and provide salvation and redemption for you. That's why he came. And by the way, don't you ever, ever buy into the lie of the devil that God doesn't love you and God doesn't care about you. That's a lie. You just look at that babe in the Bethlehem manger and realize the lengths that God went to to get to you. To save you, there is in the Bible a story, and then I'm gonna show you a video. The story, well, this is how they told me in Sunday school Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he was, he was small of stature. And they told me in Sunday school he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see and that's exactly what the bible says he could not see jesus for the crowd because he was a a short man and so he ran ahead and he found a sycamore tree and he climbed up that sycamore tree in the branches like some of us do we go deer hunting except he didn't have a summit climber stand and then they told me in sunday school and as the savior passed that way he looked up in that tree and he said "Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. And you know what? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that as Jesus walked by, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm going to your house. Let's go to your house. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, chief tax collector. He was a crook. He stole from everybody. Nobody liked him. And he got away with it because he worked for the Roman government who happened to be in charge. So they didn't care just as long as the taxes got collected and he'd collect, he was supposed to collect 10% from you. He'd get 20% and he'd pocket one of the 10. So he's very wealthy, but hated by everybody. He was a really, really bad man. Very bad man, Jerry Seinfeld, right? Very bad. All right. And so, Jesus looks at this very bad man and says, come with me, we're going to your house. This guy's a sinner, but he gets all excited and he invites all of his other sinner friends and imagine that, Jesus sitting in a room full of sinners, eating dinner. Now what's happening? Really what happened to the woman caught in adultery? This little crook this little extortioner, this little swindler has got a glimpse of Jesus. He's seen his person and he's heard his words. And he's realized this man can do something and can change my life. And that's why he puts his faith in the Lord to save him. And I said, well, how do you know that? Are you making this up? No, because you want to know what the root is? Look at the fruit. And he said, Lord, I'm giving back everything that I took from people. That's restitution. All the money that I took, he said, today, I'm giving it back. And he said, and I'm going to give away half of everything I have. I'm going to give to the poor. Now he's become a benevolent man. A greedy man has now become a benevolent man. It's almost like the Grinch who stole Christmas. His heart got big. Now, I'm gonna tell you what Jesus said because it wraps up my message. (laughs) He repented, he became gracious, and verses nine and 10 of Luke 18 says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. So Jesus said he was saved. And listen, for the son of man has come. Why'd you come, Jesus? Jesus. Why'd you come? Why'd you come to earth? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why He came. That's why He came. He came to seek and to save lost people. I forgot to say this in the last service, but I'm looking at my notes and I want to say it. I put a star by it, it must be important. Saving sinful people is the heartbeat of God. Can you all believe that? Because it's true. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior and as your king and the spirit of God is dealing with you and you're saying, I need to change. Something's gotta happen in my life. You're in the right place at the right time, hearing the right message. You're hearing the truth. You're a sinner. And you're not right with God. But there is a Savior. And there's grace. And God doesn't want to throw you into hell, He wants to save your soul. Now, if you stay in your sins and die, you can't go to heaven. So that only leaves one alternative. And if you go there, it's because you made that decision, not him. But the record state. But he doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to go to heaven and be with him. And that's why he came. For years, because I'm 52, I got the benefit when I was younger of hearing a guy on the radio named Paul Harvey. He's cool. What a voice. He was the master storyteller of the 20th century. And he has this story that he told every Christmas on the radio. And I knew it. And for 30 plus years of preaching, I don't think I've ever used it. As far as I know, I've never used it. If I have, I don't remember it. Because I remember this was a part of me that wouldn't use it because it was so popular and so well known, I just wouldn't use it. I thought it's cheesy. I'm not going to use it because everybody already knows it. And, you know, what's the point of doing that? I can just listen to radio. Well, as I was finishing up this message, I thought about Paul Harvey and the parable, The Man and the Birds. And I, I thought, wow, you know, you don't hear that anymore because Paul Harvey's dead and they don't have that. And I thought, but, you know, I, so I, I started grabbing some young adults. And I said, Do you know who Paul Harvey is? And they said, no, who's that? I said, there's a guy on the radio. I said, you you never heard him do his Christmas thing on the man and the birds? He said, "Uh uh-uh, what's that? I said, come to church Sunday, you'll find out. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe now might be a really good time to play it. So just sit back and listen to the parable by Paul Harvey that in an inimitable way puts the exclamation point in this message and tells us why Jesus came.